0: Some of you are saying already, what kind of church is this? (laughs) Now both of those videos were taken from a movie called, or a weekly show called Fear Factor. And I'm sure some of you watched it, okay? Fear Factor was about where the contestants were asked to do either terrifying or disgusting things... And if they refused, then they would be disqualified from receiving a large monetary reward. And uh, I enjoyed watching the show. Laura always would get screamish when we watched the show. And uh, uh, in, in that last one with that gal who got her hair cut, out of those three ladies, she was the only lady that would be willing to get her hair cut all shaved off. I watched some of you people and you know that fear was in your eyes. Some of you guys were going, yeah, right on. but Some of you ladies like, what? Fear factor. I show you that because I want you to understand, life can be like fear factor. But before we get into the, that and talk about that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke, the 8th chapter. If you've got our New Testament, uh, turn to page 57. And if you do not have a Bible, after we're done here, when you're leaving, there are New Testaments on a table in the hallway. Feel free to take one. Bring it next week. I will ask you to circle things, underline things. I would hope that you'd even write in the margin of your Bible. reason being, so later... later or Maybe this week you will take your message map. There's a page for blanks, and you might find that also. You take your message map, look at this scripture, read, and you'd have things marked, and you'd look those thoughts on the message map, and you'd have a devotion concerning this passage. And it will be more, the retention will be greater if you do that. And then also later, some other day, you may be reading the Gospel of Luke. And you'll look and you'll see you've got something marked and maybe wrote something in your message or on your page in your Bible. And you just don't read it and go through it. But these statements, these phrases, these things I ask you to mark will have more meaning. Okay? We're going to look at that in just a little bit. Luke, the eighth chapter. Before we do, this is the last Sunday of the month. Okay? We don't normally at Connection pass anything to receive money. If people give money to Connection, they put it in that box in the back. Uh, We're not here to take your money. It's what people give to God when they feel like God is blessing their lives and He's using connection as a church body to do the ministry He wants. Then folks learn to support that way. But we do on the fourth Sunday, we pass popcorn bags. okay? And what we're going to ask, if you want to, to put in your quarters, dimes, nickels, dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you want, in the popcorn bag. Some people write checks. If you write checks, you can write a check. Just make it out to connection. Now the money that's in this popcorn bag, uh, our lead team will be receiving this. They'll go out and they'll count it. They'll come back later and uh, they'll give me that money in a popcorn bag. If it's over $200, they'll split it up and they'll give me two popcorn bags. And uh, and what I will do, I will give those two popcorn bags to... Uh, or one however many we have to somebody or two people here in worship today now some of you new people saying wow I never heard of a church that did it that way listen the purpose we give it to you is not for you the people who get that money are to this week go out I'll give them uh, a half sheet to give some instructions is to go out and just cross the path of someone that they just feel they ought to give that to and they just say our church wants me to give you this money and uh We don't even tell the name of the church unless they ask questions. Because we're not pushing connection. What we want, we want our people to experience the giving. Because you know what? You and I can do this on a regular basis. We may not give large sums. But the right time, at the right time, $10 can mean a lot to somebody. $20 can mean a lot. And so, we're just doing this. We've been doing it since February. We, if you... Read in here. You can read and hear stories of people who've given this past month, uh, had the bags and, and gave it away. I keep trying to communicate those, so you know how people are impacted with that. So I'd like the lead team members, if they would, to go to the back and start receiving the offering at the back, coming forward. Okay. And if you're if you're first time or you're not a regular at connection, don't even get, don't even give into this. You just watch. We we don't want you to give. Okay. This isn't done to get from you. Okay, this is a connection, people. If you write a check, the check will be given to the treasurer and put in the bags for next week, next month, because they have to go through the bank. Only the cash will be counted today. So go ahead, take that offering. If they pass the bag, you pass it on down. Help them out. And uh, like I said, if you're new, you're not a part of connection very long. Don't even be concerned about giving. Okay. So for while they're doing that, oh. I was going to say one other thing. Some of you have already, bags been by you. Uh, you know, from now on when we pass this bag, go ahead and pass the bags. But from now on when we pass the bag, if you've got a need, you need a $10 or $20, you just reach in and take it out of there. Okay? Look, one of the things the lead team talked about is we don't want to control this money. We just think we, just think we take too much control and the Spirit doesn't work. Okay? And so uh, we trust it. We give it to people in our church. And they give it away. And if you have, you have that opportunity, you'll see it's an awesome responsibility to have 100, 140 however much money is in the bag in the giveaway. But I want to start saying, if I don't forget on Sunday mornings when we take this, if you just happen to be here today and you need $20 because you don't know where your food's going to come from, you just reach in there and take it out. Just reach in there and grab one of those bills. Now, that's going to make some people mad. And usually the people get mad are the people that don't need it, okay? Because they want to control it. But the lead team has talked about this, and we just want to give God an opportunity to just take charge of this money. And there may come a Sunday that one of you, one of us, well, we just know, I've got to pay that, whatever it is, tomorrow. On. I'm $10 short. And so we're just going to try to take our hands off of this, okay? Now I want you to know, everything's being videoed, and so we're going to evaluate the people who are reaching the bags. No, nothing's being videoed, okay? Let's get back to your Bible. Luke, the 8th chapter, the 40th verse is where we're going to start. Luke, the 8th chapter, the 40th verse. We're going to try to finish the 8th chapter. We've been in the 8th chapter for quite a time. But if you go back and read the 8th chapter, it's been involved with people. It's Jesus involving himself with people. And he started with a group of women. And if you remember, I talked about how special women are to God. Well, today I'm going to sort of go back to that female emphasis in a little bit because of something that Jesus does. Because he never degraded women. I know, I know there are Christian churches and there are Christian men and there are non-Christian men that will degrade the opposite gender. Jesus never did that, okay? He never, ever did that. And... Uh, but we're, we've spent a lot of time in this chapter. We're going to finish today. I'd like you to take your message map. Look at the first blank. That's the first thing I want you to fill in. Talking about fear. Okay? Fear in living life. And we all know what that's like. Sometimes, you can write there in that blank, sometimes we must decide whether we will live by fear or live by faith. Okay? Sometimes we must decide whether we're going to live by fear Or live by faith. And today, we're going to see two individuals who live by faith. Okay? Two individuals who live by faith. Okay? And both of them, both of them could be gripped by fear. Okay? But we're going to see them live by faith. And I hope that speaks to us today. Okay? You see, it takes faith to live and love like Jesus. Look at the second blank. Look at the second blank. It takes faith to do the right thing according to God. Often it is fear that keeps us from doing the thing God would want. Do you understand that? It takes faith. It takes faith to do the right thing according to God. Often it is fear. And many times it's fear we've learned Yeah, but my rationale says it's often fear that keeps us from doing the thing God would want. You see, it takes faith. Listen, it takes faith to put being with God's people regularly on a Sunday morning as a priority in your life. Your fear will say, but I'll lose some sleep. Your fear will say, I'll miss some fun. It takes faith to make being with God's people regularly. It takes faith not to let your anger have control. You see, your fear says, but I've got to raise my voice. I've got to control. It takes faith not to let your anger have control. It takes faith, listen, to get married instead of living together. It takes faith. And we don't talk about those things today. We tell people, go ahead and get mad. It's better to express it than hold it in. We tell people, go ahead and live together. It takes faith to do what God wants. It takes faith to forgive someone when they've hurt you. Yeah, but if I forgive them, fear kicks in. They'll take advantage of me. They won't learn their lesson. They'll hurt me again. It takes faith to do what God wants it's fear that keeps us from doing what he wants it takes faith to walk away from bad influences because fear will tell you but you won't have any friends you see I could just keep just telling you ripping off one thing after another it takes faith to live as God would want us to live and it's fear that tells us all oh, but you're gonna miss out on something or it's not gonna work out the way you want And so what we do, we kick back in, usually into our routine and our habits and our rational thinking, because we've been doing it for years. And we wonder why we don't grow in our faith. Well, look at verse 40. Let's see what happens here. It says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so if you're reading from a different translation, it's going to be a little bit different. What's on the screen is the New Living Translation, okay? On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because, and I I want you to circle the next six words if you can, because that phrase is important. They had been waiting for Him. Okay? They had been waiting for Him. Because every time you read Luke, the 8th chapter, the 40th verse, I want you to think about that. They had been waiting for Him. Because you see, some of us don't wait for Jesus. Some of us are going to go ahead and we're going to do our job the way we want to do it. Some of us are going to go ahead and we're going to spend our money the way we want to do it. Some of us are going to go ahead and we're going to raise our voice the way we want to do it. Some of us are going to go ahead and we're going to relate to our mate the way we want to do it. Some of us are going to go ahead and we're going to make the wrong choices. See? We just don't wait for Jesus. Now Jesus has healed a man. If you were here last week, he healed a man on the other side of the lake. He got in the boat. Remember that man. That man told Jesus how he wanted to serve Jesus and Jesus said, no, this is how I want you to serve Jesus. And that's what we often do. When we're young folks, up to until the day we die, we decide how we want to serve Jesus. And Jesus is always trying to use somebody else to speak to us because we won't listen to his Holy Spirit. This is how he wants us to serve him. Well, Jesus heals this man who had many issues in his life, and he gets in the boat, and he comes back onto this side of the lake. And when he does, what does he meet? It's what I've reminded you about all through The gospel, or all through chapter 8, he meets a crowd of people. It says, You see, a crowd is waiting for him. You know why? Because people want a piece of Jesus. That's what they want. They want a piece of Jesus. He helps people. Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people. He does it through his touch, he does it through his words, he does it through his very presence. And because Jesus impacts people's lives, They want. They want a piece of His advice. They want a piece of His presence. They want a piece of His Word. See, they want a piece of His touch. They want a piece of His time. And I will say this, and I've said it again and again, because you know what? I think we try to say to people in church, living like Jesus is very easy. And I've never said that to you. Living like Jesus is always time-consuming. Because if you truly live like Jesus, listen to me, your life begins to change, and when your life changes, people see it. And when they see it, they want a piece of you. They would like to hang out with you if you would just let them. And they may call you up or knock on your door. They may say to you, can we sit down and talk? I've got a problem. They want a piece of your advice. They want a piece of your time. And you see, this world says, wait a minute, your time's your time. And everybody better protect their time. I remember when I went through my theological training, one thing, one thing I'll never forget is that one of my professors says, remember, the church doesn't call your wife, they only call you. Listen, Laura and I have talked Every church I have pastored, we have. She doesn't get up and speak like maybe you see other lady pastors. But every church we pastor, she has always allowed people to take our time and to have our advice if they wanted it. You live and love like Jesus. You give your life to Jesus. And if it makes a difference in you, people will see it. And they're going to want to take your time. That's what they want. They want a piece of Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. People who do not want to live by faith, they don't want your advice and they don't want your time. They may come and talk to you about a problem, but they don't want to hear it God's way. They want to hear it their way. They're like little children who come to mom and dad and they pose a problem and mom and dad says, you know, son, it's time you got to grow up and you got to do it differently. You always make me feel bad. I don't like talking to you, dad, because you see, dad doesn't give them the easy answer. People who do not want to live by faith, they don't want your advice. They don't want Jesus' advice. They want their advice. It takes faith to live and love like Jesus. Living for Jesus often involves the fear factor. You know, probably nobody's ever going to ask you to cut your hair all off, ladies, for Jesus. But there will be things you'll be asked to shed in your life for Jesus. Probably nobody's going to ask you to eat a spider. Space those big ones. But there will be some things you'll be asked for Jesus. Connection couldn't exist if there weren't people who allowed the giving up of their time and even their advice. Living and loving like Jesus, living by faith, can involve a fear factor. Well, it goes on. Look at 41. Then a man named Jarius, he's a leader, it says, a leader of the local synagogue. Now, I want you to understand, see, we're not Jews, we don't live in that time. This is probably the highest ranking person in the community. Okay? There used to be a time in America where because ministers would get education, they'd come to community. Many times they carried a lot of clout because other people didn't have education. Thank God in America today, we have raised our children up to get an education. Now listen to me. But we are creating a culture to tell our children. That's not the most important thing anymore. You know what the most important thing is? Go to Disney World. You know what the most important thing is? To have a smartphone. You know what the most important thing is? To just have a vehicle. And we're growing kids. A lot of them. That are not getting an education. This man, Jarius would have maybe been the most important or highest ranking person in his community. He was a leader in the synagogue. I'm telling you, he would have been the best known citizen for sure. When they built a synagogue in those areas around Galilee, there may only be 20 to 50 people living in that town. And the leader of the synagogue would be recognized as an important person. Everyone would look up to Jarius. He was a leader. I want you to see that. Because we live in a society where we are self-sufficient. And people who can be self-sufficient tend to think they don't need God. And they don't need to live like Jesus. That's for those others who got time. You see, self-sufficient people give themselves to their endeavors. And I've told you before, we don't see corporate leaders teaching connect groups. We don't see doctors and high professionals playing drums or guitars or setting up chairs. You don't see that. I'm not trying to put down those kinds of people i got those kinds of people as my sons and daughters and son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. And they have been raised, they have been told all their life, when you get, they've got their educations. When you reach that accomplishment, you be sure in your church where you live, you are an example for Jesus. Because think what would happen if people who have got the brains would start living by faith and giving their time Letting people to have a piece of their time and a piece of their advice as they give the advice of Jesus. Jarius is such a man. Look what he says in forty-one. He came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. Look at—he comes to Jesus for the same reason most of us come to Jesus. He is desperate, folks. He has a need. There's nothing wrong. Somebody says, you know, sometimes the only time people come to Jesus when they have a need. We see that in the scriptures. There's nothing wrong. Don't run those people off. Tell them to come to connection. We may not be able to meet their needs. But we can be there. This man comes to Jesus for the same reason every one of us will come to Jesus. He is desperate and he has a need. Look what 42 says. The first part says, his only daughter who was 12 years old was dying. Now, this is a leader. This is a guy everybody knows. He and his wife most likely have done everything they can for their daughter. They have done everything they can. And so what does he do when his daughter is still dying? He humbles himself before Jesus. That's what he does. And I'm going to tell you, if in your desperation you tried everything you can to bring change into your life and transformation to your life, I'm asking you to come and fall at the feet of Jesus. I will end this sermon with that invitation. That's what this man does. The man who is the leader in his community, the leader in his faith. This man comes and he humbles himself before Jesus. And he's begging. He's saying, Jesus, I want you to come and get involved in my life. And I want you to help my daughter. Help my daughter. Help my daughter. Let me just take an interlude and say something about daughters. Daughters are special to God. I thought, well, I'm going to chase this through the Bible. I'll never get through Luke until Jesus comes. That's when we'll probably finish Luke. Because there are so many things that stand out. But let me say something about daughters. I have two of them. I firmly believe as a man that God sees daughters as special. Gals, don't let us men belittle you that you lose your specialness. Daughters are special to God. God uses daughters to help men mature. That's what He does. And some of you ladies, you allow men to keep you living below what your potential is. God uses daughters to help men mature. Some dads never learn concerning the specialness of their daughters. And you know what? You grow up and you've been dad, and you've provided, and that little girl moves on, and she just loves you, and she longs for that relationship, but you never learn her specialness. Oh, the son, most likely, but the daughter, you never learn about her specialness. I wanted a boy when we had our first child, and God gave us a girl, and boy, I was so thankful as I look back, that God gave us a girl. My oldest daughter, my oldest son, have heard me say that. I wanted a boy so I could teach him everything that I had learned as a man. And God gave me a girl. And you know what? From my girl, I learned to be affection, affectionate. My mom and dad didn't say, I love you. Maybe they said it once or twice, but they hardly ever even kissed in front of us. We never hugged. I learned from having a little girl to be affectionate. I learned to be tender. I learned you can't throw her around like you can a ball. Oh, I could tell you a story if I had time. I want to tell you the story. I threw her about 25 feet. Boy, thank the Lord, really. She landed on her bottom. She did. I'd never let my wife take our kids to the doctor. No, unless it's they're dying. No. Because I grew up to baby of fourteen. Meat cutter dad, kite making mom, nobody is going to go to the doctor unless it's, it's very important. I'm telling you, whenever I threw my daughter that far by accident, I found Laura and I said, let's go to the doctor, let's go to the doctor. You think you need to go doctor? I got a special woman. You see, she's a daughter. And daughters are special. If you remember, I started this chapter, women are special. She said, now let's just settle down, Mike. Let's just watch and evaluate. never did take our daughter to the doctor. Daughters are special. They teach us affection. They teach us guys tenderness. They teach us, I learned to be a hugger from my daughter. I learned to be a person who would say to my daughter, I love you. My sons have benefited from me having a daughter first. They have heard me say, I love you. I have learned things from my daughter. I have learned to pay attention to emotions from my daughter. Not just go always on words. I have learned that you've got to understand the physical makeup of women. I taught my two sons, boy, don't you be getting on our girls once a month. They had to learn that about 10, 9 or 10. They had to understand that. Some of you are saying, well, in a church you talk about this? Yes, because dads, you teach your boys. They're going to marry somebody's daughter. And you know what? Those parents are trusting you to raise your son to treat their daughter the way God wants them treated. With respect, I learned to love and serve women from my daughter. I learned to not—it's not all about guys from having my daughters. That's sort of tough. Go play ball. Go watch the action films. Football on TV, basketball, baseball. My sons will tell you we—they learned. They learned from me because I learned from my daughters. No, you take time and you go what they want to do. I'm telling you, they love you a lot better. You start evaluating them as women. You don't think it's all about guys because it's not all about guys. This life is about guys and gals. I learned to take time to shop with my daughters. I learned, to learn, I learned to eat food my daughters like to eat. I like that guy food. Just give me that good old mashed potatoes with a heavy dose of gravy and put that steak right beside it. You've heard me say, I'm glad cattle are made out of steaks. See? <laughs> I like that. But I've learned to eat the broccoli. I've learned to pay attention to some of those other things. But you know, the most important thing I've learned about daughters... I've learned they're so special and a gift from God to a dad that I need to help my daughter learn to understand how a man is to tr- respect her and treat her. You could ask my girls, I'd tell them, God, I take you out and he wants sex from you. And I'd be a little bit more forward with him in describing that. And i talk about what you do with a man and if he won't do that, listen, he'll leave you alone in time because he can go get sex from some other gal. Because there's always girls that don't know their specialness because they didn't have a dad who taught them how a man ought to treat them and respect them. You see, girls' daughters are special. And men, they're our gift. And some men try to raise them just like a boy. And some girls can do things a guy can do. I'm not opposed to that i got a granddaughter plays basketball, plays soccer. I like to go watch her. But I like her to hug her dad. I like to see her say, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. I like to see her go up to her little brother and say, I love you, Dre. Keep trying. Men, we are to teach our daughters to understand how a man is to treat them and to respect them instead of abusing them and using them if you're a man here and you're doing that to somebody's daughter, stop it! Daughters are a gift from God. Dad are, dads are to encourage their daughters. Dads are to protect their daughters. Dads are to adore their daughters. Dads are to cherish their daughters. Dads are to nurture their daughters. And listen, dads are to give daughters His time. Because daughters are special. You know what? Jarius has got a daughter that's dying. Somebody says, that part of your sermon doesn't belong here. I want you to understand something. In that day and age, in that day and time, because they are under Roman control, it was in the Roman experience, tradition, that if a man, his wife had a daughter, he would say sometimes, I don't want a daughter, I wanted a son. Go put her at that place in town where other men would come and raise a prostitute from that daughter. Jerry has cared about his daughter. This wouldn't even be as impacting. A son is special, but he's coming because he's got a 12-year-old daughter and she's dying and he knows the specialness of daughters. He's a leader in God's synagogue. And I tell you today, Dad... Daughters are special. And I want you to know, listen guys, you young men, when I see a dad holding a daughter, it blesses my heart in ministry. It does. Well, let's get back to the scriptures. Look at 42. As Jesus went with him, with with Jarius, he was surrounded by the crowd. Look at everyone has a need. Everyone has a request. This is how ministry is. Ministry is always being disrupted by people who have a need. Ministry is always being disrupted by or interrupted by people who have a request. That's the way it is. I got an illness in my family. <laughs> I need you to pray for me. I need some money. I don't have enough money. I need repairs done on this. Uh, My vehicle isn't working right. Uh, Listen, I've got to go to the hospital. Hey, we're going to have surgery. Hey, my kid's doing this. Hey, can... You see, ministry is always full of needs. I want you to see that because you see, we look over this. This is what Jesus' life was and then we expect our life to compartmentalize ministry. I'm only going to do this much. This crowd's still around Jesus. Sometimes the hardest thing for me in ministry is discernment. To know what I ought to be doing at this time. Because there are always so many requests. I must decide how to best utilize my time. And you know, that's true for you. If you are living and loving like Jesus, but it doesn't mean you're not going to be interrupted. It doesn't mean your life's not going to be disrupted. Because if you are living by faith and your life has been changed, you're going to touch other people and their lives are going to come and say, hey, can we talk? Can we spend some time? Can you help me? What would you have to say about this? Jesus is surrounded by the crowd. Listen, I will tell young men who come to me and say, I think God wants me to be a pastor. I say that I've said this for over oh, three decades to young men. I would tell you to do everything else before you become a pastor. Don't become a pastor if you can do anything else. Because you've got to be sure it's a calling from God because your life will be so demanded from. And I'm going to tell you, God will interrupt your life. If you're a young person in Jesus Christ making a difference and you're letting that be seen, other young people are going to want a piece of you. If you're a young adult you're living for Jesus and it's making a difference in your life, other young people are going to want peace from you. And if you're an older adult and you're living for Jesus, making a difference, other people are going to want a peace from you. And you've got to discern how much you can do, what you can do. My heart breaks because as a pastor I can't help everyone. And I think Jesus has probably did the same. That's why, listen, he asked his followers. We're going to move in chapter 9. He starts sending them out. He starts putting them into basic training or boot camp. That's why I say to you, I need your help. I need more of you to help. It's more than sitting in this chair. Because you see, there are so many needs, so many lives. This is where Jesus is. Always someone wanting him, wanting his help. All their requests are legitimate, but Jesus, while on earth, could not be everywhere. And so, who does He help this day? Look at what happened on the way to Jairus's home. Look what happens. Verse 43, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with, with constant bleeding. Now, now see, we're going to read that. That's the problem. We read the Bible to get to the end of the chapter. We miss this. This woman has been suffering for 12 years. She's been suffering as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. I want you to see, you got two needs here. Who's more important, a 12-year-old girl or a lady who's been suffering for 12 years? Now, a lot of us would say, well, always the child. But I want you to understand this woman's position. Look, it says, she could find no cure in verse 23. She'd been constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. She is desperate. She has apparently spent all her money. She has tried all her medical help. She can find no cure. She is emitting a secretion of bloody floods. Folks, understand what that means. That means this woman cannot go to the temple for 12 years. This woman could not go into the synagogue for 12 years. This woman, this woman could not be hugged for 12 years. This woman could not be kissed for 12 years. This woman could not be in relationship with people, other people, for 12 years. Leviticus 15 tells us she's unclean. Leviticus 15 tells us that if she touches a bed, you better not touch that bed or you're unclean. Leviticus 15 says if she sits in a chair, she's unclean. You better not sit in that chair or touch that chair. The Leviticus 15 is emphasizing that when she speaks with you, you don't get too close because if any spittle comes out of her mouth, you know, like sometimes it just falls short for you guys, it comes out of my mouth. If her spittle fell on you, you're unclean. Do you understand? This woman is suffering. It's not just a medical need. It's an emotional need. This woman is hurting. So here's Jesus. Jairus comes. Jairus is an important man. He doesn't have far to go. And so he's heading to Jairus' door. And then what happens? This woman wants his time. She wants a piece of Jesus. The constant weight, the constant burden of ministry. Jarius, woman, daughter 12, woman, all alone, 12 years. I think the worst thing of suffering is suffering alone. You see, and I tell you this, I'm not trying to get your sympathy for me. I feel the weight of that. I want to help you. Oh, I've got to help you. Who do I help? That's what happens to you. But here's what happens to church people. They just withdraw. Matter of fact, some of you, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, soldiers for God, You just leading the troops. Now where are you? You're sitting. You're listening to a guy named Mike Davis. Because you see, it gets weighty when you help people. The demands are there. And your mate tells you, your parents tell you, you know, you got to pull back. Jesus is caught in that. I feel that kind of season even right now. What do you do? This or that in regards to people? Well, look, it goes on. 44. Coming up behind Jesus. Now, look. She touched the fringe of his robe. In other words, she reaches out to Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, this is that first thing he circled. She was waiting for him. Don't let your life get so busy that you're not waiting for what Jesus can show to you. Maybe in your devotional time. Don't get so busy that you're not waiting for Jesus. What he's going to say in a worship experience. Don't get so busy that you're not waiting for Jesus in that home, in that Connect Groups meeting. Don't get so busy that you're not waiting for Jesus because you're looking to see, hey man, you got an extra $20. And you're just waiting to see who it is Jesus wants you to give it to. See, this woman reaches out to Jesus before she reaches out to him. She has to be waiting. And all of us want Jesus to impact our lives. But we've got to be putting ourselves in the places where we're waiting. I don't mean we're not doing anything, but we're available. And it says in 44, immediately the bleeding Stopped. Touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. Look, everyone denied it. Peter said, he always opens his mouth. Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. In other words, come on, Jesus. Who could ever know who touched you? Peter always says the wrong things. Now, let me ask you. It says, it says, everyone denied it. Why wouldn't, if the bleeding stopped, why wouldn't a woman just say, it's me, Jesus. (laughs) I've been healed. It's me, Jesus. Why wouldn't she just stand up? Folks, because she's unclean in the eyes of all those people. She's unclean. She's where she's not supposed to be. She's not to be in a crowd. Anytime she gets around people, she ought to be saying unclean, unclean, so people can get away. You see, she doesn't speak up because physically she's in the wrong place. We're told there in that Leviticus passage that if she was made clean, if the bleeding stops, she's supposed to go to the priest first. Sometimes Jesus healed people. and He said, now you go to the priest, get declared unclean, especially with the leopards. But, but she was supposed to go to the priest and the priests were to watch her for eight days and then they would declare her clean and she could live her life. For 12 years, she couldn't be that way. And so why doesn't she speak up? Because she knows I'm not supposed to be here. I remember one time, my children, when they were growing up, my oldest son, uh, junior in high school, something like that, because he drove to school. But uh, I remember, and Laura and I didn't go out and eat much then, and I came home at lunch, and I said at noon, I said, hey, why don't we go off KFC, and uh, let's let's go get something to eat for lunch. Okay, we go down there, and I walk in, and my son was told, you're supposed to do closed campus. You drive to school, and you drive home, but you don't leave for lunch. I walk into KFC, and there's my son over there. And I walk over there, and I tap him, and I said, Hey, John, how you doing? Have a good day, son. I just went and ordered, and Lord, I ate. I doubt if anything tasted good after that for him. That night, he says, how'd you know I was at KFC? Here's my answer. It's the answer I give all my kids when what they want to know. How'd you know? I didn't say the teacher told me. I didn't say your friend told me. I didn't say the meat man told me. I said, God told me. Oh, God doesn't tell you. I said, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be a dad someday unless God wants you to stay single. You're going to get married and probably father children unless God wants you to stay a single. Listen, Paul said in Corinthians, being a single is really a God-honoring thing, so don't, don't put yourself down, especially for being a single. Said, unless you're going to be a single, you're going to be a dad, and you're going to know someday God's going to tell you. Folks, nobody told me John was a KFC. God wanted my son to be held accountable. You see, God's on your side. The problem is most parents won't. When God makes it aware your kid's going the wrong way, most parents won't encounter that. And John got disciplined for that. But you see, John was where he shouldn't be. This lady was where she shouldn't be. Now look at 46. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Now, everyone's looking at her. Everyone's looking at her. This is a woman that was unclean. Now, I want to ask you, will they only see themselves... Now, get this. Will they only see themselves she's doing here? I could have been made unclean. Doesn't she think about other people than just herself? Or will they see her and her need? Will they see her and the emotional trauma she's been feeling? We don't want those kind of people around here. I'm sorry to say, churches have said that. And when they don't say it, they communicate it by their behavior toward those people. I wonder if they'd see her and her need. Well, we don't hear their response, but look what Jesus does. 48. Daughter, he said to her. Now, I want to tell you, this is why I took time to talk about daughters. Jesus takes a woman who has no dignity. Now, listen, don't read any further. He says, daughter to her. He takes a woman who has no dignity, who is dirty and unclean, and he gives her dignity. He calls her daughter. This is the only person in Scripture that Jesus ever called daughter. Wow! I'm telling you, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that. You see, everybody's looking at her, and most of them thinking of themselves, that's what you would do, and that's what I might have done. And they're thinking, well, you don't even think about us. We could have caught something from you. What are you doing? And Jesus says, daughter. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. Whether you're a man or a woman, you, you give Jesus the right in your life by faith, and He'll call you His son or His daughter. He calls her daughter. He gives her this dignity. Never forget that God is a wonderful dad. He's not trying to work in your life because He wants to take from you. He wants to give you dignity. He wants to give you that contentment that He created you for. Well, 48 goes on. Now, now, underline the next six words. Your faith has made you well. That's what we've got to identify. It's, it's not Jesus. Jesus could have made everybody well. This is a woman that waited on Jesus, reached out by faith to Jesus, and Jesus says, Your faith... Made you well. Reason I want you to underline that, because every time you read that, I want you to stop and think. Is it my faith that's hurting me in regard to my marriage? Is it my lack of faith that's hurting me in regard to my job and how fulfillment I find in it? Is it my lack of faith that's hurting me in regard to how I'm handling my material things? See, Jesus tells her, it's your faith that has made you well. Some of us can identify with this woman. We've had a lot of suffering in our lives. Maybe because of our own choices or maybe because of the choices others have made. But I want you to understand, Jesus just wants you to wait on Him and reach out to Him and let Him have His way and that kind of faith will make you well. You see, your fear says, oh, I don't think it's going to work. Your fear says, no, I don't know if I want to make that commitment. Jesus says, your faith made you well. So what does He tell her? Go in peace. Faith overcame her fear and she meets Jesus and he touches her life. And the final thing he says to her is, go in peace. That's, that's an important statement to her because her life has been anything but peace. Her life has been anything but peace. It has been constant turmoil. It has, emotionally, it has been emotionally longing for a normal relationship. And Jesus tells her, go in peace. She felt dirty. She felt damaged. She felt like she was no good. And Jesus called her daughter. And then he says, now, go in peace. He gave her dignity. He called her daughter. Folks, he gave her recognition when he gave her attention. Some of you come in here, and the only people you look for are the same people you look for every week. Give recognition to other people. See their need. See their need. He gave her recognition, but he gave her a future. He says, now, your future can be one of peace. That can be true for you. And you know it. You've tasted it. You've touched it. You've felt it at times. But you just pulled away. And your fear is just overwhelming you that you quit trying. And you're ready to give up. Look at the next blank in the message map. That is what Jesus does. He will bring change into an individual's life. That's what He does. He brings that change. That's the one word, the key word that's been going through chapter 8, is the change we see in people's lives. That's what He does. He changes people. Don't let your fear of being changed keep you from being changed. Now let's go on. Let's go 49. I want to finish this. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There, there's no use troubling the teacher, Jesus, now. His father must be destroyed. Put yourself in his shoes. That's what I tried to do whenever I thought, what am I going to say here? I've never preached a series of sermons from Luke. I've never even looked at Luke this deeply as I'm trying to look at this father must be destroyed. He just saw what Jesus did. Can you imagine his heart must be leaped? Can we get on our way? Can we get on our way, Jesus? Why do we get interrupted? But let's go. And then somebody comes and says, It's too late. She's dead. He just simply must be destroyed. Can you imagine? If I'd been Jerry's, I'd say, t- Jesus, you spent too much time on the woman. You spent too much time somewhere else. Be careful. Be careful that you don't make it all about you. Because there is someone else, maybe. This man must simply be destroyed. Because Jesus didn't attend to his need right away. Please forgive me whenever I don't attend to you, and forgive connection when I don't attend to you. How many people quit going to church because they say the pastor didn't care for me, or nobody come and visited me, or saw me, or helped me? Well, let's look on what happens. Verse fifty. But when Jesus heard what had happened, look what he says. He says this to you. He said it to Jairus. Don't be afraid. Circle the next three words. Just have faith. Just have faith and she will be healed. And that's what it is. What's your your dilemma? What's your trouble? What's your problem? Come on. Live like Jesus. Take the advice God's got for you. Maybe he gives it to someone else. And then have faith. But you don't understand. It's not that easy for me. Sure it's not. You think it was easy for Darius? He just had a live person who was just at his house say to him, it's too late, she's dead. And he's got to be destroyed. And I believe that because of what Jesus said. He's got to be crushed. And Jesus said, listen, just have faith. And when you read this, you've got to see that every time because I've got a feeling in the future when you read, it, it's going to be when you need to hear those words. You're ready to give up on your marriage. God says, just have faith. You're ready to give up on your parents. God says, just have faith. You're ready to give up on your kids. God says, just have faith. And I could just go on with the illustration. And that's what Jesus tells Jarius. Now look, he goes on in, in, in fifty. Okay, he says, she will be healed, 52. 51, I'm sorry. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let, now look at this, wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. Now these guys get an opportunity to go in with Jesus, okay? In other words, Jesus is going to let them see his ministry. And I'm going to tell you this. I tell this to young pastors, young ministers. Ministry is better caught than taught. And I've been through the classes and I've led the conferences. Ministry is better caught than taught. You want to learn to live like Jesus? Get along some, somebody, alongside somebody who's living like Jesus. Jesus is taking them in there. He's going to let them catch what he's doing in regard to this situation. Look at 52. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he, Jesus said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. In other words, he's saying, this is not permanent. I'm telling you. He's already told Jarius, you've got to have faith. Can you imagine Jarius comes in with Jesus? The wife gets silent and says, didn't did, did Bill tell you? We sent him to tell you she was dead. Yeah, Bill told me that, but Jesus said, just have faith. Faith and watch. She's dead, Jarius. I don't know, but I'm telling you, from the past experience with him, I, I, let's just, how about if we just shut our mouths and watch? And Jesus, Peter, and James, and John, and mom and dad. See? Mom and dad. Now look. It says, but the crowd did what? That's right. At Jesus. But the crowd laughed at Him. Live for Jesus. And those who aren't living for Jesus will laugh at you. Now listen, you let your life be changed and start helping them, and they start saying, "What has changed in your life?" Now, when you say it's living for Jesus, they sort of say, "Hmm hmm hmm," and you say, "Hey, how about you coming to church?" And they say, "Oh man," and they laugh at that. But I'm telling you, they can't laugh at your life. Now, please, if you here last week, remember the man Jesus helped, and he says, "Let me go with you, Jesus." I tell my story, and Jesus says, "No, don't you go back with the people who know you. Go back and visit." those people who use the drugs. Go back and visit those people who do the drinking. Go back and visit those people who saw you cheating with one woman after another. Go back to the people at work that know you've always been hard-headed and everything and let them see the difference in your life. Let them see the difference, he told that man. You see, the crowd always laughs when we say Jesus is the answer. The crowd always laughs and says, when you got a situation, what would Jesus do? The crowd always laughs when people say, you know, the answer is live and love like Jesus. And the sad thing, sometimes if I'm with the crowd, I might laugh at Jesus. It says, but the crowd laughed at Him because... they got good reason. They all knew she had died. And the world is full of people who laugh at Jesus. Hang out with those people and you will come to the place... You will laugh at Jesus. You say, i will never laugh at Jesus. But you'll laugh by your choices. Your disbelief that he can really make a difference. And what you'll do, listen, you'll go back to your old way of doing things. You still will spoil the kids the same way. You still will treat your mate the same way. You still will refuse to forgive the same way. And you're laughing at Jesus. Look, look on your message map, the last blank. The last blank on your message map. If you feed your fears... Now by that I mean, look what i got written there on your message map. If, where your mind hangs out, if you feed your fears, where your mind hangs out, then you will live life controlled by uncertainty and doubt. You never can have enough money. You never can ha- be sure you're going to be okay vocationally. You never can be sure about the physical. You never be- can be sure about your mate. You never can be sure about your parents. If you feed your fears... You put your mind on the things that doesn't build it up by faith and you're going to be controlled. You're going to be controlled by uncertainty and doubt. But look, if you feed your faith where your mind hangs out, then you will live a life controlled by security and hope. That's what the Lord will bring. I'm not telling you you won't have any crisis, any problems. I'm not telling you sometimes you may get the short of the stick, but the security and hope will always return if you let this mind hang out. Where it can build its faith. Where it can build its faith. Look at 54. Then Jesus took her by the hand, that's this little 12 year old girl, and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. Now I want you to understand, I want you to see just in these short verses that Jesus is relational. This is not theology. Somebody teaches you theology. Luke did not write this to be a theological book. He went out and investigated and he's just talking about Jesus' relationships. Jesus was relational with the woman who had the 12 years of suffering. He said, daughter, to this little girl he never knew before, he calls her my child. That's how tender he is. I'm going to tell you, when I used to throw the football and hit the baseball and shoot the basketball, it was all competition, not tenderness. I'm so thankful to have a daughter because daughters can teach men how to mature. And I learned to be tender. Jesus is tender. Tender is what relationship is all about. I know somebody in your family is very sick and it's hard on you. Sometimes you just want to give up. Live like Jesus. Be tender in the relationship. I know some of you in your marriage... Your mate works, just tries to control you by his or her behavior. Be tender in the relationship to that mate. Parents, I know some of your kids treat you like you're the dumbest person on the world in the world. Be tender in that relationship. And some of you kids, you've got parents, all they know is to give you one profanity word after another, and then they escape into their drug or their alcohol or their pleasure be tender to her mom or dad Jesus is relational he's always seeking to enter a relationship look at 55 and at that moment her life returned and she immediately stood up and then Jesus told them to give her something to eat her parents verse 56 the last verse in that chapter her parents were overwhelmed but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened now folks I want to close by saying this see the hope see the hope in the situation that we've just talked about. With the woman and now with the dead girl. But with the dead girl's face, I want to tell you, this is just a detail of my future and your future if you have faith in Jesus. This is the resurrection. Death will not keep you down. You see, one day Mike's going to die. You see, it's going to be a definite fact. Did you hear Mike Davis died? And people are going to be sad. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> But I had to pull that, didn't I? And you know what? It's going to be real. Mike Davis has died. Now, you guys didn't say anything. Mike Davis had died. Okay? Reality. Oh, that's so sad. My wife, my children, they were hurt. I am gone. They will not see me in this life. But if our faith is anything real, it will kick in and they will realize Mike Davis isn't done. Mike Davis is with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from this body is to be present with Jesus. And they will celebrate that. Matt told you about his grandmother's celebration. I went to, to Mike Steve's funeral. That was a celebration. See, that's what I will be dead, but it's not permanent. I am not done. I will go on with Jesus. And Revelation 19 says, I'm going to be involved in a feast, in a relationship with Jesus. It's going to be good. That's what's there for those who just have faith. We have faith in Jesus. A person who chooses to have faith in Jesus and follow Him will be a person who will experience the power of God in their life. Some of you aren't experiencing it. A person who has faith and follows Jesus will be a person who will have the power of God in their life. I invite you to have that faith today. I invite you just to turn to God and say, God, everything I've heard here is spoken to me. I want you to know I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being the God of my life. And I'm sorry for my ways my sin. And I believe Jesus Christ came and gave himself for my sin. For my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Today I declare I will follow Jesus as Lord. I invite you to make that kind of commitment. But it takes faith. Be careful. Already Satan's trying to put some fear in some people's minds. Ah, you don't want to do that yet. You've got to think about that. No, do it. Okay? Hey, we got the Touch Somebody life gift money? Okay? Bob's going to come up. Matt, they want you up here. Do you have a question? Okay, just once this gets done, we'll get that question. I'm going to get people out of here. This is not how we normally do this. Bob asked if he could come up here with Matt, okay? And so, normally we just get this money and we move on, okay? So... Uh. Before we get to the before we get to the giveaway, Bunny. Okay. Uh, Can you October, hear him? October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and all of you have have given uh, to Mike and to Matt. And we want to uh, present you with your appreciation. This is just a small token of how we feel for, about you. So okay. Thank you. Yes. thank you thank Thank you you. and Matt you can go back to seat. and we thank you really for this okay and uh, quite a just to have recognition is meaningful okay and uh, appreciate it okay okay let's let's handle this we have two bags $132 each in them so I would like to ask hey Bill Bill Ellis would you be willing to be one of the people this time come on up here Uh, Tina Smith would you be one of the people this time come on up here okay now ears and take this paper and here and take this paper and that helps you understand what to do and you can just go back to your seat and you do what you're going to do and and get back okay I want to thank you for giving to this okay we just choose different people and they will handle this and they will do it and we'll read their stories down the road okay Uh, what's the question how do we remind ourselves in all the situations life brings us to live by faith not fear okay From a little kid growing up, whenever I would have to be in a dark place, a place of uncertainty, what would bring me comfort? Having someone there with me. Are you following with me? I'm going to tell you, don't live your life alone. Get with other people of faith. You see, your faith may be challenged today by fear, and God will use them to speak to your fears. And another day, their faith may be challenged with fear, by fears, and God will use your faith to speak to them. Be careful. Most of us just make this the only experience we have with people of faith. And you know what's sad about that? You only hear me. I've been in groups with people just this last week, or last week, not this week, last week, two different groups, and I heard two men who spoke to something in my life. I mean, I've been with other groups during that time, but those definitely two groups. One worked in one of our our major employers of this community. The other is more of his own workman. But they both shared Their journey of faith. And it spoke to me. So how do we remind ourselves in all situations? Life brings us to live by faith, not fear. Hang out with people of faith. And if it happens to you on a Tuesday morning and there's no people of faith to hang out with, then you should have a close friend or a friend in faith call them and say, man, I'm thinking about calling it quits. And whatever the situation is that God doesn't want you to quit, let them speak into your life. It's always a lot easier to go through darkness if there's somebody else we can feel some security from. Okay? Let's bow together and then we're done. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for their attention. Thank you for the love that's been expressed to Matt and I. Thank you for people who do love Jesus and that's why they make this a part of their, their, their schedule each week. And thank you, Father, for the example we have through Jesus in relationship with Jairus and his daughter and the people in that situation and for his relationship with the woman who had been ill, suffering for so long. God, help us. Help us to be people who will walk with people of faith. Help us to be wise enough to make sure our mind hangs out not just on Sunday but at other times during the week in regard to things that build our faith, that encourages our faith, that shores up our faith. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.